Well, welcome, Mosaic. Uh, those of you guys who are online with us, we're so glad you're here. Tonight's gonna be a good night. Uh, I wanna start off tonight sharing this passage out of John 3. Uh, it's verse 30 where John says, he must become greater and I must become less. Okay, can we sing from that foundation? I wanna invite you to stand with me. And we're gonna sing this song, Christ Be Magnified. So let's make him greater uh, tonight together with one voice.
sink in and settle on your spirit and the night is holding on God is also holding on he never lets go For the next minute I just want to give us a space and a quiet Isaiah 30 says that in quietness in confidence that's where we find our strength in the quiet with God so just for a moment, I want us to just be quiet in his presence together. And maybe the night has been holding on to you, and you just need to be reminded of this scripture on the screen. 
And if not, in solidarity with someone that you know tonight, someone in this room maybe, maybe someone that you work with or someone in your family, just take a moment and hold to this truth.
Jesus, you're my hope and stay. Yes, teach our song to rise to you. When temptation comes our way, and when we cannot stand, we'll fall on you. Yes, Jesus, you're my hope and stay. join me in the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day friends feels good just to slow down doesn't it breathe deep and recenter our scattered senses upon the empowering presence of Christ in this place and also in us we'll continue tonight in our sermon series thy kingdom come and uh, Doug Rains will be cracking forth the word of truth in just a few moments on that theme, that thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. If you have your Bible or your device, would you go ahead and grab it and open up to Matthew chapter 6. 
And as you get centered on the Word of God, the author of Hebrews says some interesting, intriguing things about what's on your device or the scriptures that you hold in your hand. He says that they are living and active, dividing between bone and marrow and soul and spirit and judging the thoughts and the intentions of our hearts. Think about that. You hold in your hand the pulsating life and activity of the Word of God now. And as we prepare to dive deep into this teaching tonight and get a grasp of what it means for His kingdom to come and His will be, to be done in our lives as it is in heaven, Thomas Aquinas, an early church father, had a prayer of readiness, a, a prayer when he was getting ready to open the Word of God and receive the Word of God that he would pray. And tonight, would you allow Aquinas' words to be the vocabulary of your heart as we get ready to look intently into the life, the activity of the Word of God? Four, we may find it'll divide our soul and our spirit our bone and marrow and judge the thoughts and intentions of our hearts. So in this stillness, with a deep breath, let's just pray quietly the prayer of readiness of Thomas Aquinas. So as we're walking through the Lord's Prayer, as Chip said, we're to the second part where Jesus teaches us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. A few months ago, I was sitting in a, in a coffee shop talking with my friend Callie Day. Uh, we had finished the first part of this series, Thy Kingdom Come, where we focused on lordship. And Callie had reached out to me in that message I taught. I said, hey, if you want to talk about any of this stuff, if you'll buy me coffee, I'll talk with you all day. And, and so she called me up and said, hey, I got some things I want to talk to you about. And so we were able to sit and, and, um, and she had some questions. And, and most of those questions revolved around one question. And that is, what does God's kingdom on earth look like today? And I really enjoyed that conversation. Um, if you don't know Callie, let me tell you a few things I've learned to love about her. First, she is passionate in her love for Jesus and for other people. Second, she's a thinker. Um, she considers deeply what she reads or hears from God's Word. And third, while she is kind and gracious, 
She doesn't cut me any slack. She expected me to be able to explain some of those things that I had said from this platform, and she had some real questions about it, and it was just really good interaction. And I thought about that conversation as I have been uh, studying this, this part of the Lord's Prayer we're looking at tonight, where Jesus teaches us to pray that God's kingdom will come. And the question that she has, what does God's kingdom on earth look like today? So when we pray for God's kingdom to come, what exactly are we praying for? I think that's important for us to know. Jesus tells us to pray it, but do we really know what we're asking for? What does it mean when we, when we look to our Father who is in heaven and, and we worship his name and then we say, and we want your kingdom to come. We want your will to be done on earth just like it is in heaven. What are we asking for? We often think of a, of a kingdom in terms of a territory defined by borders ruled by a monarch. But in Jesus' day, it was not so much the territory and the borders as it was the presence and the authority and the power of the king. That's what made a kingdom. So if the, the king was, wasn't present and his power and his authority wasn't big enough, uh, he wasn't ruling over the kingdom. So a kingdom... In Jesus' day, a kingdom was every place that the authority and the king ruled, the authority of the king ruled over. So when Jesus says for us to pray, your kingdom come, the second part of that verse explains what it is we're praying for. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Just like heaven, we want your will to be done here. So by definition, if that's what makes the kingdom of God present, is the will of God being done just like heaven, then the kingdom of God is where the will of God is done perfectly, fully, and consistently. It's where the will of God is done perfectly. Every I dotted, every T crossed perfectly, fully. We don't leave any sentences out. We don't leave any pieces out. And consistently, it's always being done. So with that idea in mind, I want us to think for a while, but what would, what would it mean for the kingdom of God to come? So let's start by looking at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. In Matthew chapter 4, verses 17, and then again down in verse 23, it says this. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's here, is what he's saying. And then he went through all Galilee, teaching in their synagogue and proclaiming the gospel, the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. Jesus' first sermons, his first teaching was centered on the idea of the kingdom of God. As he begins his ministry right after his baptism, he begins to proclaim the kingdom of God has come. In fact, he's saying my ministry represents the, the coming of the kingdom. Now remember, a kingdom was connected to the presence and the power of the king. So when he said that his ministry was the beginning of the kingdom, what he was saying is, and I'm the king you've been looking for. I am the king. 
And so that explains why when we see his ministry, we'll see, uh, we'll see his power break in. We'll see him exercise authority. He exercises authority over nature. He exercises authority over spiritual forces. He exercises authority over religious leaders. In fact, one time he's, uh, it is, it's observed, who is this man? Because he teaches with authority. So he brings his authority and his power and he says, the kingdom has come because the king is here. In Luke chapter 4, verses 18 to 19, we read that Jesus specifically announced the beginning of his ministry by, by saying this, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now, this is a quote from Isaiah 61 that all these good Jewish people that he was talking to would have recognized immediately. It was a very familiar passage to them because it was one of those, the, one of those passages that they hung on to, one of the promises of God that they hung on to, that gave them the hope of God bringing the kingdom back to them. And so when they heard him say, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, and he has anointed me to proclaim the good news of the kingdom, they immediately went to Isaiah 60 and, and 61, and, and they, they thought, what is it? Is he bringing this kingdom? So to get a grasp of what they were expecting, I'm going to go back, and I want us to go back and read that prophecy from Isaiah. We're going to pick up in Isaiah chapter 60, uh, verse 19. And this is how that kingdom is described. The sun shall be no more your light by day, nor for brightness shall the moon give you light. But the Lord will be your everlasting light, and your God will be your glory. Your sun shall no more go down, nor your moon withdraw itself, for the Lord will be your everlasting light, and your days of mourning shall be ended. Your people shall all be righteous. They shall possess the land forever. The branch of my planting, the work of my hands, that I might be glorified. The least one shall become a clan, and the smallest one a mighty nation. I am the Lord. In its time, I will hasten it. And then we come to the passage that Jesus quoted. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. So when Jesus announced that the kingdom had come, the natural expectation of those who heard him was that soon all would be put right that had been broken by sin. That was the kingdom they were looking for. 
That was the kingdom they were expecting. And when they heard these words, it says they were glad. They rejoiced because the kingdom is coming. And all that's been broken and all that's been messed up and all that's been painful is going to be done away with. And righteousness will come and it will rule. That's what they were looking for. But as we follow Jesus through the rest of his ministry, we get to the end of his ministry, and this expected kingdom still hadn't happened. Rome was still in control. The pagans were still ruling over Israel. Jesus had healed some sick people, but he didn't heal everybody. All sickness hadn't gone away. He had raised some people from the dead, but people were still dying. The sun was still coming up and going down. The prophecy had not been fulfilled. Which is why after the crucifixion and the resurrection and just before Jesus would return to heaven, his disciples looked at him in Acts chapter 1 and he said, and they said, will you now bring the kingdom? They were still looking for the kingdom to come. This kingdom of Isaiah, the, the prophecy of Isaiah that Jesus said Today, this is fulfilled in your ears and in your sight. Will you bring the kingdom now? And Jesus' answer was, the when is not for you to know. Just know that it will come. At the end of the first century, the church had been birthed and it had expanded uh, from there in the in this little spot in the Middle East, it had expanded up into Europe, it expanded down into Africa, it had moved further east into Asia, and the, and the kingdom looked like it was growing, but the kingdom still had not come. So the last book of the Bible to be written, the book of Revelation, ends with the promise of the consummation of the kingdom. In Revelation chapter 21, Beginning in verse 1, it says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage and I will be his God and he will be my son. Finally, we're told when the perfect kingdom of God the place where all that has been broken will be restored would come. And it comes with the return of the presence of the king. 
when Jesus comes again, he will bring with him the final consummation of all of the promises and the expectations of the kingdom. So when we pray, thy kingdom come, we are first of all praying with hopeful expectation, looking forward to that day. We are citizens of the kingdom, living in a foreign place, waiting for our king to bring his kingdom back. And go back and think, how is that kingdom described? No death, no pain, no tears. All of that's passed away. The presence of God is with us. He is our light, he said in Isaiah. He is our glory. We will flourish. We will prosper. Everything that sin broke will be made new. And so when we come to the very end of Revelation, you know what John said to this? Even so, Lord Jesus, come. And so we pray, Lord Jesus, let your kingdom come. So we see that Jesus brought the beginning of the kingdom when he came the first time. He was present in power and the kingdom came. And it turned out to just be the inauguration though, not the consummation. And we see that the full consummation of the kingdom will happen when Jesus comes again. He will be present in power and the kingdom will come. But what about the in-between? How do we live between the first coming of Jesus when the kingdom was announced and inaugurated and the second coming of, of Jesus when the kingdom is consummated? Do we just sit around and wait for Jesus to come back and try to get by the best we can? Is that what it means to live as kingdom citizens? Do we give up on anything good and godly ever happening in the world? Not at all. Because when we pray, thy kingdom come, we're not just praying for Jesus to come back soon and rescue us. We are also praying that the kingdom of God can and will come here and now. How is that possible? Well, to understand what that means, it's possible because he is still present in power. He was present in power when it was inaugurated. He'll be present in power and it'll be consummated. And he is present in power today. As Chip used the phrase that we use often around here earlier tonight, the empowering presence of Christ is with us. One of the last things Jesus said to his disciples as he sent them out to go out and live as kingdom citizens in the world and to make a difference, we're going to talk a little bit about in just a minute, in the world. He said, and guess what? I am with you. The empowering presence of Christ is here. And because the empowering presence of Christ is here, because the king is here, the kingdom is here and now. 
And you say, but wait a minute, it doesn't look like what we read in Isaiah and Revelation. This is what the kingdom looks like now. We have to understand this to, to truly understand what it means to, for the kingdom to come in the here and now, to live in the in-between. We have to understand, first of all, that the kingdom of God is inside out. Romans chapter 14 and verse 17, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, external things, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. What he's saying is the kingdom of God is in the, is in the process of changing people from the inside out. It's in the process of making people righteous, filling them with peace, and giving them joy. Those are all internal things. Those are all internal conditions. And Paul makes it clear that this only happens because of the work of the Holy Spirit in us, the empowering presence of Christ changing us from the inside out. The presence of the kingdom of God today is not about changing circumstances. It's not about changing power structures and other man-made things that then would make the world a better place. The kingdom of God today is about bringing the message of Jesus to people and seeing them changed by his work in them. The gospel that God saves sinners through Jesus is always the lead foot of the kingdom. It is always the gospel first. Why? Because that's the thing that brings the empowering presence of Christ into the hearts and lives of people. It is the good news that Jesus died for us, rose again on the third day, and is now standing in the presence of God, interceding for us. He is our mediator. He's the one whose blood has cleansed us from sin that allows us access to the Father. That good news is what lets us come into the kingdom. And so the gospel is always the lead foot of the kingdom. As people hear believe and receive the good news, then God begins changing them from the inside out. And you know what happens? As the world begins to be filled with people who are being changed from the inside out, they're better people. And so the world becomes a little better place and the kingdom of God begins to shine through and break through. So the kingdom of God is inside out. We have to understand that's how it works in the in-between. Secondly, the kingdom of God is upside down. Earlier this week, um, I was sent a link to a podcast and a message, and the, and the title of the message was The Unexpected Kingdom. And as I was listening to it, I thought, can I just play this for my message? Like, it was really good. Um, but he talked about it being the unexpected kingdom. And he mentioned in, that, in there, you know, it, it feels like the kingdom of God is upside down when you look at it from the world's perspective. And in Matthew chapter 5, verses six, uh, or chapters 5 through 7, which is we're kind of in the middle of it in chapter 6, it's called the Sermon on the Mount. And in it, Jesus gives us a picture of what the kingdom of God is like. And he begins with a section in chapter 5, verse, in verse 1, he gathers the crowds together and he sits down and he begins to teach his disciples. Verse 2, he opens his mouth. And then verse 3, we have what's called the Beatitudes. And it comes from the, the, the very first word in each of these verses is blessed. 
And, and that's the Beatitudes are just blessings. And, and listen to what he says. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. As we read through these Beatitudes and think about what's he saying? What, what, what are the things that he's saying about it? You notice the blessedness of the kingdom doesn't come through the changing of the circumstances. He didn't say, blessed are those who used to be poor because I just made them wealthy. It's not through the changing of circumstances, but changing through the way we see our circumstances. When the kingdom of God comes within us, when we become part of the kingdom, we begin to see things through kingdom eyes and we realize one of the things that sin did was turn the world upside down. And while it looks like the kingdom is upside down, it's really right side up. It's the way things ought to be. Our wealth is not based on how much money we have. Our comfort is not based on things being easy and painless. Our status is not determined by our social position. Our satisfaction is not in having our desires fulfilled. We strive to live mercifully in purity and peacefully. And even in our suffering and persecution, we find reason to rejoice. And the world looks at that and goes, that's upside down. And all of that comes... When we say of our own hearts and lives, when we look to our Father in heaven and we say, right here, let your kingdom come. Right here, let your will be done. And we walk and we live and we think and we love through the empowering presence of the King. So when we pray for God's kingdom to come, we take the long view. We have to. We recognize that the kingdom we long for is a kingdom that is not yet, but it's coming. For many of us, this year's been hard. I know just in my family, uh, we buried three people. They were you know, my relatives. We've We've watched others suffer through sickness. We've watched them struggle through economic stress. We've watched sin take hold of, of marriages and break them apart. And we grieve those things. And, and I can't tell you how many times I have prayed, Lord Jesus, come, bring your kingdom. I'm so weary and so tired of what sin has done and is doing. So we pray. We take the long view. Lord, bring your kingdom. And that gives us hope and it gives us strength. But in the in-between, 
We still pray, Lord, let your kingdom come here and now. But we don't strive to bring it in or to build the kingdom through man-made structures or systems. We seek to be the kingdom that breaks through the world, that brings the gospel, the good news of the kingdom, that helps people change from the inside out. It lets people see things from a new perspective. And we live out, your kingdom come, your will be done through the empowering presence of the King in us. So would you pray with me? And when you genuinely, with your heart, with, with your soul, reach out to the King and say, let your kingdom come. Lord Jesus, we look forward to the day. We long for the day. And Lord, just some days I just ache and beg for the day when you could bring it back. Let your kingdom come. But Lord Jesus, we realize that your kingdom is here. You brought it with your first coming and it didn't go away when you left because you're still with us. Because the king is here. The kingdom is here. So Lord, we pray that in our hearts, in our lives, in our world, we will see your kingdom come. And your will be done. As lives are changed. As the bonds of sin are broken. As the shackles of shame fall off as we walk in liberty and freedom of new life. And we begin just, just a little bit to taste the kingdom that is coming. We get to taste it today. Lord, let your kingdom come. In Jesus' name, amen.
would you have your way in us and through us? God, we want your kingdom to come on this earth, in this place, in Northwest Arkansas, in the world. It's only by your spirit that help us to embrace. Sing it out. Good news. Good news embracing the Lord. Comfort for all those who mourn. For the broken this prayer with me this evening. Father of lights, the source of all good gifts, in whom there is no shadow, you have made us regents over the provinces of your creation and endowed us with humbling capacities to bring order out of chaos. May our tools serve your kingdom and serve our neighbors. Forbid that the work of our hands ever take your place or that our tools enslave us. That we may stand before you approved in the work of our hands through your son, the creator, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. There together. There is no other. There is no other. 
kingdom come this week in Northwest Arkansas and in our lives in our homes as it is in heaven yeah you know as Doug was teaching the word of God living active soul spirit bone marrow judging thoughts intentions of the heart two of those phrases stood out we live from the inside out live upside down the citizens of the kingdom and it is all about his empowering presence with us that's something we can know we can walk in with great assurance and greater confidence and that's how we live inside out and upside down mosaic it was so good to be with you tonight and our friends online thank you for checking in if this is your first time at mosaic or first time in a long time you'd like to connect with someone we have some friends out at the guest uh, services booth in the center of the atrium. You friends online can uh, get in touch through online resources there. But uh, we'll continue next week. And as you leave tonight, let this be our benediction. We commit our work to you, O oh God. Make us instruments of your grace, ministers in your service and creators in your kingdom. Help us to serve the needs of others, to persevere in truth, to persist in prayer, and at all times to seek your will. So that in all our daily work begun, continued, and ended in you, we may glorify your holy name. May your kingdom come as you reign in and through us. Amen. Grace and peace, Mosaic. We'll see you next weekend.